0: Money FM eighty nine point three, best of workday afternoon. Market view on Money FM eighty nine point three. All right, it is time to have a look at what's happening in the world of business in depth. And joining us is JP Ong. JP, what's happening today?
1: Uh taking a look at the markets again. We always start off with the markets every time we speak, right, Tim? So the Straits Times Index and mark stocks are generally in the greens, the and they're. Slightly up today, and there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no exuberant uh, gain for local stocks, but still up, nevertheless, three and a half points higher is where the straight times index is heading. Currently up to 2,638 points. Value turnover, though, just a little bit better than we've seen as compared to previous days, about 542 million Singapore dollars in total trading activity and the split between winners and losers mm-hmm. on the entire SGX today, fairly even. There's more losers than gainers, that is, across the broader mainboard going But the splits, uh, it's, it's not by much. 168 stocks, recent trusts in the red, 159 that are in the green today. So we're seeing it fairly even, at, at least. And the picture across the rest of the region also fairly, uh, I would say, fairly decent. There's some slight gains and, uh, and minimal losses for the most part. You see the Nikkei 225 among these uh indices that are actually losing ground, but they're only down by about 48 points. So that's, a, that's a, a 0.2% intraday decline for stocks out in Japan. It's not the same story, though, out in South Korea. You're seeing the cost be up by about 30 points. That's a 1.4% intraday gain for South Korean markets. So we did get news today that, according to the State state News Agency of North Korea, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has decided to, uh, to de-escalate any planned military action against South Korea, they mm. removed some of the, uh, uh, the the loudspeakers that were installed on their side of the DMZ, and they've already started to de-escalate some of their planned moves. And this just letting uh, just just letting some much needed blowing off blowing some much needed steam out of that pressure kettle that's northern uh, that's uh, in, inter-Korea relations between the two Koreas, right? Um, so the cost is actually doing quite well today. Mainland Chinese markets uh, split: Shanghai's up by about four and a half points, Shenzhen's down. But they're just down by about eight points in today's day session, and we have the Hang Seng trading about 44 and a half points lower today. Taipei, though, the Taiwan weighted stock exchange, up by 42 points. So it's uh, it's fairly decent for markets. I think no one's really getting carried away for the most part. And investor investment analysts are pointing out that that uh, a lot of traders across the world are holding out the hopes of a potential recovery, and they're holding out the hopes that markets will be able to withstand any economic downturns. There's still a lot of risks out there us China trade tensions on one hand, you also have the site of rising COVID-19 cases in many U- in, in a number of US states and also some countries here in the Asia Pacific. But a lot of investors who have spoken to both Reuters and Bloomberg have actually said that they currently the theme driving markets right now is that people are still hopeful that uh, that stimulus will actually shield markets from any significant downturn. Now we've seen that rally that uh, that, that that impressive bounce that started in late May carried into the first half of June. Start to run out of steam a lot of investors are starting to question themselves but at least today we're seeing just a, ret- a cautious return at least of optimism for the most part and it's keeping the straight Times index not just afloat but up by about uh, well uh, up by about t- uh, two points in today's session one and a half points that is 2636. the thing we're going to watch out for though is if we suddenly see a sudden um uh, a sudden uh, e- evaporation uh, for lack of a better term, in terms of a market sentiment today. And we're starting to see that just getting challenged a little bit. So far, we're still marginally in the green, and the rest of the region cautiously up. But we have to emphasize the word caution because there's still a lot of risk factors out there.
0: Yeah, I'll take the cautiously optimistic part uh, as a, a positive sign, uh, JP. <laughs> All right, um, digital money Myanmar, or wave money, there's some news going around there uh, about a uh, proposed control from Yoma. What, what is this about? So
1: this is an interesting story that that uh, the Straits Time that the Business Times actually picked up today. That Yoma Strategic has announced that they are going to increase their share, existing stake or shareholding, and they're going to take a controlling interest in mobile payments for Digital Money Myanmar. Now, Yoma Strategic, as we know, is one of the significant conglomerates that's actually very active and counts Myanmar as their home base. This is a fast-growing economy uh, that uh, that that's, that's uh, that some see as a frontier market to watch, and Yoma Strategic is. Well-positioned in a number of industries out in that area, but as that the economy develops and as that economy starts to grow even faster, there is going to be the issue or the question of how they're going to facilitate better payments and whether that Myanmar can actually also benefit from this digital wave or the digital transformation that's hitting that's. Uh, that a lot of economies, mm-hmm. including here in Singapore, are trying to embark on. So Yoma Strategic has taken a controlling interest in digital money in Myanmar. They have paid 76.5 million US dollars for this. This is no small change on their part, but they're going to do this to, uh, to take over the 51% stake in wave money that's owned currently by Norwegian telco giant, Telenor. So Telenor is getting out of out of Digital Money Myanmar. Mm -hmm. Yoma Strategies is taking over their particular stake. And they're also going to form a new investment holding company based here in Singapore named Yoma MFS. And at the moment, Yoma is also planning to pour another 25 million U.S. dollars into this particular holding company Uh, to help fund more acquisitions and perhaps fund more activities moving forward. So Yoma Strategic is just basically taking two or three steps forward in trying to advance their, their digital footprint, especially in a country like Myanmar, because if you see this economy start to take off, if you start to see a lot of these digital activities really start to ramp up and accelerate, this could actually put Yoma Strategic and their investment in wave money or through their investment in wave money, in a pull position to try and benefit from this uh, possible upside also. And, uh, and at the moment, uh, Yoma, uh, YOMA Strategic has said that uh, this will also come after YOMA's acquisition of a 10% stake in wave money also, which was held by my um, first Myanmar investment, which was under the Ant Financial Group, Alibaba. Okay. So Yoma Strategic, just, it just, it just uh, it gets in some ways solidifying and cementing their position in Myanmar and making sure that if, uh, if, the, if the Burmese or the Myanmar economy continues to take off and we start to see more of these tech transformations and developments, this will just uh, see Yoma Strategic um, push even further and put them in, the, in a good position to take advantage of that upswing.
0: Just to clarify, uh, JP, this wave money, is it similar to the wave pay we've been seeing here in Singapore?
1: I think it is. It's it's, say- uh, it, it says here that it's uh, It's uh, they basically do mobile payments.
0: Mobile payments. So they're going yeah, to be right. using
1: a lot of mobile payments. Right. Uh, of course, one of the big questions, of course, with mobile payments is, is the telco industry in Myanmar up to staff to really uh, help finan- finance these? Because you're only as good, really, as your infrastructure and how quick your mobile payments are. But uh, but with this uh, potential growth, economic mm-hmm. growth, this is going to be in the forefront of minds, of, or the minds of economic managers and companies out in Myanmar. And Yoma Strategic... Not Maybe not maybe not quietly, but they are they are staking their claim and saying, okay, we're going to start firming our, our position up in this particular quarter so that if all of these other pieces start to take off and start to really develop, we're going to be in a good place.
0: And as we know, with a new economy like Myanmar, their infrastructure for mobile is probably a lot more advanced than existing countries. Uh, speaking of uh, payment and all that, wire card uh, controversy uh, revolving around Europe as well. Um, how is that... If at all affecting uh, here in Asia?
1: Well, you know, because a, a lot of a
0: lot of like my restaurant, we use a wire card system for credit card payments well, I, as well.
1: You know, that's a great question, actually. And unfortunately, I don't have a, 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 an answer, but it is worth asking this uh, this this question that you're you're saying, not just for your restaurant and how you're going to facilitate wire card, but also for other companies that depend on wire card. Wire card mm. has been very. Um, has been uh, has made a significant inroads in in uh, in online payments and, and and mobile payment and actually uh, um, contactless or cashless payment processes. Just to illustrate, according to an article from Bloomberg, they actually tracked that Wirecard, which happens to have their, their Asia Pacific headquarters here in Singapore, uh, derives about 45% of their total revenue from the Asia Pacific region and mm-hmm. through the Singapore office. It's only second to Europe, which is by the way their bulwark. They are based in in one of the suburbs of Munich and. They they continue to be they they were at least uh, until recently um, at the forefront of European fintech and payments technology. But this scandal has been very fascinating to track because on one hand you are not just uh, when you say fintech there's that word fin which means you're your financial company right and it's a bit it's a bit embarrassing actually on the part of Wirecard that they cannot trace <laughs> 1.9 billion euros in cash which were said to have been funneled into Philippine banks. I've actually had a conversation with a number of. Uh, um, journalists on Twitter about this also, and people who cover European and emerging markets debt. Actually, mm-hmm. it's a very odd thing to see a company of the size of Wirecard, which at one point was bigger in terms of market cap than Deutsche Bank, actually choose to park money in or cash on hand, in two Philippine banks. Now, I have nothing against Philippine banks at all, these, uh, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you if you were somebody who's managing the credit risk and the and the risk profile of a company like Wirecard, it. it you, you'd think that they would probably think of a bank in Frankfurt or maybe London or right. here in Singapore or Hong Kong to park these mon- this money in escrow, but they decided to choose two Philippine banks. Now, here's the thing. These two Philippine banks, BDO and BPI, which are the two biggest lenders in the Philippines, have both clarified that no such account exists. They do have some documents, a, a, a forged documents, though, that might have been falsified by what they call a broke employee, but they said mm. no money entered the Philippines financial system. And even the, the Banco Central governor in the Philippines has confirmed this money has not entered the Philippine financial system, which basically goes back to Wirecard and show, and illustrates. So, hey guys, where is this near two billion euros that you claim to have as of the um, as of 2018? When you look at Wirecard's financial statements, I believe it was total assets were at around six or six and a half billion euros. Now imagine that's nearly two billion euros in cash that's offhand. So their their balance sheet is probably two thirds, only a a third smaller than they actually stated in 2018. And this is uh, this not just uh, this not just uh, you know brings up these embarrassing questions of how a fintech company could mismanage and lose track of this money that was falsified. But also, if you're a payments provider, you have to ask yourself, well, how secure are my payments if Wirecard can't even get their own affairs in their house in order? And a number of companies have actually started to distance themselves. There's all reports today that that, uh, Grab has started to distance themselves Hmm. also from Wirecard, and this could actually result in a number of these Key relationships are crumbling, but also raises the question: If you're a business that depends on wirecard, well, what other alternatives do you have? And if that if that system is uh, is, uh, is is compromised, um, what will what what how how quickly or how challenging will it be for you both to shift as a small business owner? That's something uh, I, can, I can
0: understand is at the forefront of your mind, Tim. Yeah, we, went, we were discussing about this over the weekend and if we should withhold uh, credit card uh, payments for a while until they settle this thing. But uh, I'm just reading here from the Straits Times that the MAS is requiring Wirecard to hold customer funds in the banks here uh, for this uh, time period anyway.
1: And I think it's smart also because we, there are questions about well where can these where can this uh, money or this cash actually be wired out and make sure that um, any transactions that are that are conducted in in cash transfers or or money monetary transactions conducted for Singaporean businesses like yourself are at least kept onshore and domiciled here to make sure that there's that 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 these payments don't jeopardize the overall ecosystem that a number of businesses like yours. yours um, actually, depends on
0: exactly all right. So uh, very quickly, what's uh, coming up on primetime uh later on this afternoon, JP?
1: So, so this uh, later on on primetime, as with every Wednesday, we take a look at a major ASEAN economy and across the ASEAN. Today, it's Indonesia's turn. So, Indonesia is in a very interesting position at the moment. Uh, they are reopening their economy, which happens to be Southeast Asia's largest, also the largest in terms of population. Uh, and, and this despite the fact that they now have, I believe, the highest number of COVID-19 cases in the region. I think they overtook Singapore just a couple of uh, days ago. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. there are still signs that the cases and, uh, are not under control, that there might be questions about testing, but Indonesia is doing this in a sense because the economic impact of COVID-19 has become very unbearable and they have no choice but to reopen. What is this doing to market sentiment there, and can we use this as a possible case study for all these economies that are trying to balance the public health implications versus the economic impact of keeping uh, uh, economies under lockdown or under, say, circuit breaker in the case of Singapore to try and mitigate the spread. We'll be speaking to Mr. Jenny Paul Wawu-Intana, who is the founder and chief investment officer of Sukor Invest Asset Management out in in Jakarta to get a sense of what uh, Indonesian investors and markets are are balancing and whether or not there's palpable tension with regards to this reopening because on one hand you sort of need to do this because the economies can't stay under lockdown forever but on the other hand can or is your health system and 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 could there be a possible um, public health and economic repercussions down the road should a sudden resurgence of cases as we've seen in some places actually uh, reoccur in this particular country
0: all right, JP, thank you very much uh, for that. JP Ong will be back later on Primetime with Rachel Kelly, so stay tuned for that as well. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.